And today the topic is God and government. I should duck when I say that, right? We're going to talk about government. Look out. I put that in my notes just in case anybody was really upset that that's going to be the topic of the day. Why can't we just talk about God? Why did he have to throw in government? It's, I mean, we've got PTSD, am I right? We just came through one of the most polarizing uh, elections of our, of our lifetimes. It's, there's trauma. Our nation is divided and hysterical. People have a very different view of morality. People are defining liberty in vastly different ways and casting much different visions for democracy. And it is crazy out there. People generally have a negative view of government. And so God and government, I'm, I feel like I'm just asking for it. I hope with these topics, I hope with these topics that when you hear like we're going to talk about this, that your first thought isn't, well, I hope Pastor Ryan's going to tell people to think what I think. <laughs> and I hope that your thought is not, well, I hope he tells us what he thinks about these things. No, no. I hope that your heart is, what does God think about these things? Amen. Hey, what does God think? And I guarantee you, if you get into the Word of God and you find out everything God thinks or says about these things, you're not going to be like, whoa, look at that. God agrees with me 100%. There's going to be some changes in our minds and then in our mouths. <laughs> hey, let's pray and then we'll cover this important topic together. Father, we pray that you would help us to relate to our government in a manner that glorifies God. Father, I pray that you would help us to speak about our government in a manner that glorifies God. In Jesus' name, amen. The verses will all be projected, so you can jot them down if you'd like to go back and follow up with them for reference. Bulletins are back, so feel free to take notes. Uh, these principles were pulled from all over the scripture. Uh, so the first thing you can jot down is this. God wants us to honor, respect, and obey our government. God wants us to honor, respect, and obey our government. There are so many voices right now screaming the opposite. We should dishonor them. We should disrespect them. Say terrible things about them. Give them no praise and disobey them. Why would we do what they want us to do? There's just shouting against this biblical principle. In Romans 13, 1, the Apostle Paul wrote this. Let every person... If you're a person, raise your hand. Go ahead and do that if you're just a person. This is an interactive sermon, okay? I saw one person who didn't raise their hand. Somebody check on them. <laughs> Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Well, that sounds, that sounds a little overstated, Paul. All governments are by God and instituted by him? Really? That's a biblical principle? Uh, isn't your emperor Nero? Yes. And he's telling people he's a god? Yes. And he's going to kill Christians? Yes. And you're telling me that you've got to be subject to him? Yes. What about in Israel, your homeland? They literally killed Jesus. All right, you got a lot of opinions about our, our government. They didn't kill Jesus. Can you imagine if they had, right? And then writing, well, you know what we got to do? We got to obey him. That's what he's saying. Wow, 
How are we to process that? 1 Peter 2, 13-14 says this, Be subject for the Lord's sake, there's the motive, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So there's an assumption that when it comes to honoring the government, it's because God is using that government to provide security, to provide opportunity, to provide liberty. We should go with that. And generally, Christians should be known as people who submit to our government as an expression of our faith in God. And also as an expression of our submission to his word. We must also be marked by a submissive spirit toward all authority. And all authority is inherently imperfect. So if there's an authority figure like our boss or our parents, we are to be marked as a people by submission to authority because God established the family, God established the government, and that includes church authority. We uh, inherently understand that that came from God and that the Holy Spirit says uh, made our overseers over us so that they could care for us. So Christians have to develop. Some people have never, ever, ever figured this out. It started in their home, but they have never developed a submissive spirit toward uh, authority, ever. And they've never seen that this is the only divine way to relate to authority, humility and submission. When it comes to our government, we have to honor and respect and obey our government, and that's as an expression of faith in our God and submission to his word. Now jot this down, the honor, that means be grateful because God established government for your good. We should honor them. We should be grateful for them. We should thank God in our country for one of the best forms of government in history. Our form of government is new. It's new. And it's very special. We enjoy freedom and liberty and opportunity and prosperity like no previous nation has ever enjoyed. We can easily take for granted the way our government operates, even when it's not operating according to the way we think it should, the very model of government that we have. We have the oldest uh, active written constitution of government that affords liberty. Some, uh, the average I read somewhere is that half of nations that attempted to do what we did lasted 19 years or less, their freedoms, their liberty, before someone said, all right, that was fun, but now you're going to do what I say. We can so easily take for granted just a day in the life of the liberty that we enjoy, and we can so easily overlook all of the good things that government has provided for us and that the Lord has provided for us through government. There's a political professor named Doug Amy who decided to tackle this topic, and the title of the article is, Government is Good. And he wrote out a day in your life of the things that government is responsible for, and he wrote this because he said, surveys show that 52% of Americans believe that government programs have not really helped them or their family in any way. He said, let's see if that's true. And then he went through a day in the life. And to summarize what he talked about, he said, first of all, when you wake up, uh, you know what time it is. That's helpful because the National Institute of Standards and Technology keeps the official time. Without a standard time that was mandated, anyone could mess with that. You can use your phone because the FCC makes sure that all of the signals in our vast uh, uh, telecommunications network as a nation functions and people don't overlap or, um, or clog the system. Also, you get to go downstairs and make your coffee and uh, pour some water because the water is clean. 
thanks to your city water department, and then your waste is disposed of in an environmentally friendly manner, thanks to nothing you have done other than pushing a flush. <laughs> you make your coffee and the power works because it, your home was inspected to make sure that the electricity was properly installed and a fire doesn't break out. And you even have a home if you're a homeowner because of the government. Government has made that possible. There's no such thing as ownership in nature. These are legally binding constructs created by the government to um, give us this idea of ownership. Government is responsible for all of this. We know what the weather's going to be when we pull up some of the forecasts because the National Weather Service uh, every day on our behalf takes 190,000 weather observations from uh, surface, from aircraft, uh, 18,000 national buoys, 250,000 balloons, 140 million satellite reads, all just to help you make sure you don't get snuck in a snowstorm. The FDA makes sure that the uh, prescriptions that you take uh, actually are the prescriptions that you needed and the food that you eat has been inspected as well. When you get out there into, the, into your world, uh, the streets are not teeming with stray animals because the local animal control officers have taken care of that. And there are traffic laws, and there are people enforcing traffic laws and even keeping the streets safe. All of this is the good that God has provided to you through the government. Through the government. It's so easy to go through a day and to not be grateful for just the things that we take for granted. We must honor our government. When it comes to America in a world full of other nations, uh, which includes borders and protection. We aren't afraid of North Korea parachuting in eminently, are we? Or Canada launching a surprise invasion? Do you know that the American government spends $1.9 billion per day to keep our country safe? Listen, $1.9 billion per day. That amounts to $80 million per hour. We just take it for granted. We just take it for granted. Wow, what God does through the government. So we have to be grateful because God established government for our good, and so much good comes through the government. In Jeremiah 29, 7, uh, Jeremiah said this, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, God says, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. The exile was the Israelites blew it. God exiled them out of the promised land. They were in a foreign land, okay? They were in a foreign land. They had to do what that government said. They had very little freedom. They were captives. They were slaves. They were servants. And what did God say? Seek the welfare of the city where I send you in exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Do you see how the... Hey, honor the government. Pray for that government. I know you're far from home and you've got no rights. Hey, in its welfare you will find welfare. This is a very positive view of a very bad government situation. There should be gratitude, there should be support, there should be prayer. Hey, our government needs to hear from the church, we are for you. We are grateful for all that you have done. We know that through God, much good is being given to the people. When I was a new Christian, I remember that I was uh, attending a church in Melrose Park. One of the things that church did on an annual basis is they would invite all the local leaders into a church service and they would have Government Appreciation Day. 
Have you ever been to a Government Appreciation Day church service? We've never done it here. Maybe we should. But they would, the mayor would be there. The police chief would be there. Fire, the fire chief, they would all be there. And they would have them stand, and people would clap, and they would say, thank you. And I was just this new Christian. I'm like, huh, this is really interesting. Huh. And the pastor would then preach on how government was supposed to honor God. The one-two punch. Thank you. Now get it right. It's a great idea. But here's what it conveyed. We are for you. We are for you. So be grateful because God established government for our good. Jot this down. Be obedient because God will punish your defiance. Be obedient because God will punish your defiance. Christians shouldn't be defiant, contentious toward government. We should follow the rules. We should obey the laws. We should pay our taxes. We should get our city sticker. Romans 13, 2. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. In other words, when you just don't do what the government says flagrantly, and then when your life gets really hard, God is very pro that pain. God is very pro that pain. Hey, what are your prayer requests? Oh, I'm having a terrible week. Why? Got pulled over three times. Why? Don't have my license plate sticker. Go to the DMV. I'm not praying for you. Your life is hard because you're not doing what God told you to do. That's not a trial. That's folly. Be obedient because God will punish your defiance. Thankfully, I've never been arrested yet. I've had some run-ins with the law. When I was in college, <clears throat> we would have some parties out in the forest on the weekends at night, and the cops showed up and shagged us out of there. I got pulled over twice for speeding. Had to go to the court because I didn't have my insurance card on me. In our last office, when we had our church office by Stag High School, the cops showed up one day, and they're like, we need to ask you a few questions. Our secretary was there, and she's like, oh dear, what's going on? They started asking her these questions, and they found out that it was the previous owner in that office building that ran like this telemarketing ring. And so they were trying to catch the guy. But we were like, oh no, we're in trouble. It's happening, Christian persecution, right? No, that wasn't it. That wasn't it. Uh, but... We have to fear the government because they, they will punish our defiance. And God said, amen. So we must honor, respect, and obey our government. Now, number two, jot this down. We must expect our government to serve God's purposes. Some Christians get hung up on this. We must expect our government to serve God's purposes. Now, maybe in your heart, you're like, absolutely. It's what I've been trying to say. Or maybe you're like, good luck with that. Like, we're ever going to have a government that supports Christian principles. You might feel like, no, that's not our job. Or, absolutely, they need to get this right. Wherever you fall on the spectrum, I want to clarify what exactly this means. We must, ex it is right, it is biblical to expect our local, state, and national government to serve God's purposes. Christian, listen, it is right for you to expect that. Yes, in this country, yes, no matter how far our nation drifts from the foundational Christian principles, it is right and biblical for you to expect our government to serve God's purposes. What does God expect from government according to his word? Well, governments should generally punish evil and promote good, seek the good of the people, not the good of the government, safeguard human liberty, care for the poor and the vulnerable, and be held accountable. 
This is whether local, state, national, whether the school board or the village trustees or the state delegates or the, or the senators, whatever it is, this is what government was designed by God to do. And government was designed by God. John 19, 11, Jesus was on trial and he was talking to the man who had the power to throw him on a cross. And Jesus said this, Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above, Pilate. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Jesus commented, because Pilate was trying to be like, don't you know I have the power to free you? And Jesus is like, where'd you get that power? My father. You would have, listen, you could say this to any government official on earth, you would have no power if it was not given to you by God. In other words, it's derived from God's authority. That might terrify you. Are you telling me every government on earth is wielding God's authority? Yes, and therefore every government on earth is under God's jurisdiction and will be held to account by God himself. It would actually be worse if on Judgment Day certain leaders showed up for their turn. What'd you do to your people? Well, I mauled them, persecuted them, used them, and then the angels checked the book and they're like, you know what, that was outside of God's jurisdiction. All right, you're free to go. That'd be bad. That'd be bad if you're like, no, this government didn't come from God. No, that'd be bad. The worse it gets, the more you should be like, you're gonna get it. Because this is God's country, great country song, God's country, and he will evaluate how you have used his authority. It's his, not yours. So jot this down. We must expect government to serve God's purposes because God will reward and punish our nation by his law. God will reward and punish our nation by his law. And every nation by his law. Yes, the most oppressive regimes on earth should tremble at the thought of standing before God to give an answer for how they have used his authority. In fact, the Bible says in Psalm 2, 10 to 11, Now therefore, O kings, be wise and be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. So here's the biblical portrait of how every government official should go to work. Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! Why are you trembling? I'm so terrified because judgment is coming. God is good! I'm acting it out for effect. But how different is this government official who goes to work Versus this, do what I say. I don't care what you think. I'm in charge here and I'm the boss. Zap! You know what's coming on that guy? Zap! You might not see it here, but it's coming. Listen, rulers of the earth, be warned. God will reward and punish our nation by his law. And the moral principles found in God's word are the only sure foundation for law and liberty. Our first president knew this. General George Washington, at his inauguration, had his right hand on the Bible. 
while he was inaugurated and giving his oath of office. And he finished his inauguration. He finished his oath of office. And then he kissed the Bible. Hey, that's the way it's done. Hey, that's the way it's done. So God will reward and punish our nation by his law. What would it mean for our nation to again become a country that kisses the word of God affectionately? Let it be so. But we know that it's not so. So jot this down. We should significantly influence our leaders. The Bible describes and lays out many examples and principles where when our government isn't serving God's purposes, we don't just throw our hands up. Well, I guess that's done. Oh, well. No, we should significantly influence our leaders. That, of course, can mean we vote, we stay informed, we're engaged, we pray. 1 Timothy 2, 1-2 says this, First of all, then, I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Hey, are you praying for your government? Are you grateful for your government? Are you staying informed so that through this we can significantly influence our leaders? I've mentioned before that if you'd like to stay informed, one daily habit that I like to uh, follow is there's a podcast by Dr. Albert Moeller. It's called The Briefing. It's called The Briefing. So many people have told me, I'm grateful that you shared that with me. I listen to it all the time. It's called The Briefing. So if you get your podcast app open, you can go online and you can find it on his website. It's called The Briefing, The Daily Briefing. It's just 20 minutes. And he goes through things that are happening in the world. And then he tells how a Christian worldview plays into this. He doesn't command you what to think or believe, right? But he gives you the issues, and then he gives you the Christian worldview principles behind the issues. If you'd like to stay informed, that's one great way to do it. We should significantly influence our leaders. We pray, we stay informed and engaged, and we vote. Jot this down, but we shouldn't expect our government to replace the church or the family. So some people go too far, right? In their vision of how the government should fix the country, uh, government should not replace the church. The church is instituted by God and has its own authority structure, its own mission, its own mandate, right? So the government has no business leading the church. Really terrible things have happened in history when the government leads, rules the church. In some countries, the church is actually a department of government. God help them. God help them. <laughs> And now for the update from the Department of Religion. Ah! They've got no business being in charge of that. And in other countries, the church has ruled the government. That's bad too. It's bad when the government runs the church, and it's bad when the church runs the government. Yikes. Both are bad. Neither of them is what God ordained. He ordained government, and he ordained church. So the government shouldn't regulate worship, and we should not, listen, expect our government to compel people to live Christian lives. The government's job is not to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that Christ has commanded. That's the church's job. The government is supposed to stay out of the way while the church does that. The moral principles found in Scripture are supposed to be the bedrock of the laws that are created. 
But listen, and this may help you because Christians have different theories on who they vote for. And I won't ever tell you who to vote for, but I will give you some different ways you can decide how you will vote. And it's, it's really a hang-up when I hear some Christians who describe the candidate they will vote for, and I'm like, oh, so you'll only vote for Jesus. <laughs> and I don't think they understand how God can use government officials when they will never be Jesus. And some people, when they describe, it's almost like they're describing someone who's competent as a Bible teacher, like a Sunday school teacher, where they need to know this, and they need to be on this page with me about this belief, and it's like, I don't think they understand that you don't have to find a pastor, an elder, an overseer, or a Sunday school teacher before it's okay to vote for them. That's not God's plan for government. The church is not God's plan for government. And so we shouldn't expect government to replace the church or the family. Uh, it is not the government's job to raise our children. It is not the government's job to decide the morality of our home beyond what is civic and lawful in the country. And so the government shouldn't run the family. The government shouldn't run the church. So be careful that your desire is not to see the church become the government and everyone turn out to be good Christians like you. That's a faulty vision. It's a faulty vision. So we should expect the government to serve God's purposes because God will reward and punish our nation by his law. We should significantly influence our leaders, but we shouldn't expect government to replace the church or the family. Wow, we just covered a lot of ground there. So number one, honor, respect, obey our government. Number two, expect our government to serve God's purposes. Number three, we must stand firm when government opposes what is true and right. So hey, we're going to honor and respect and obey. And we're going to really work hard to strongly influence our government. And then there are going to be certain times where we can't get on board with that, where we have to stand firm in disagreement with our government. We must stand firm when government opposes what is true and right. There are many biblical examples of people who had to stand against uh, unbiblical or immoral practices of their government in Scripture. Take Daniel, for example. What a role model. Legendary prayer life, three times a day, right? Better prayer life than me. Three times a day, he's going to go off home, open the windows, kneel down and pray. Well, they couldn't find any dirt on him. So what did the other politicians do? Uh, he's living in exile. And they're like, you know what? We've got to cause trouble with his God because that's the only way we're going to get him. So they issued this new law. You can only pray to the king. And David's like, yeah, whatever. And he went home to do what he had always done. And then it just so happened that the, you know, FBI was there. Oh, we were just doing a spot check. That man's not praying to the king. Arrest him. Of course, you know this story. He was thrown to the lion's den. And what happened? The king didn't want this to happen. It was a big trap. And then the next day he ran out. Are you okay? Are you okay? I am. God shut the mouth of the lions. Daniel was caught up, though, in this trap. The government issued a law that, that forbade him from praying. And he's like, no. And he almost lost his life over it. And he's like, fine. His friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, early on, kind of set the precedent for this civil defiance when King Nebuchadnezzar, right, built the furnace. And he's like, all right, time for everyone to bow down and sing about me. And they're like, uh, we can't do that. You'll do it or you'll burn. And they're like, then we'll burn. And then they get thrown into the furnace, right? Remember the story? And the guard dies because it's so hot. And then the king jumps up and he looks in and there was another in the fire. There's four in there. 
And then they pull them out and they don't even smell like campfire. God protected them. And what did they say before this happened? They said, our God is able to deliver us from your hand, O king, but even if he doesn't, we will not serve you. There are times, and there will be more and more and more times, where as a Christian, and I want you to hear me, especially the young people in the room, I want you to hear me, there will come a point where it is crystal clear that your Christian values, biblical moral principles, are now under attack, and you have to nail your feet to the floor and say no. And when the threats come, you're going to lose your job. We're never going to talk to you again. We're going to cancel. Oh, well, I'm a Christian. My God is able to deliver me through this. You will not force me off my faith. Do your worst. The day is coming when you will have to take a stand to stand firm. Daniel did it. Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar was actually a guy the Lord was after. And Daniel knew it. But he wasn't quite getting all the way there. He'd say nice things about God. Your God's really great. But he'd still like try and be a God. And this was all culminating. Then Daniel had to announce to this king that, uh-oh, God, God's about to whoop you. And it says in Daniel 4.25, you, King Nebuchadnezzar, shall be driven from among men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time, shall, maybe seven years, maybe seven months, shall pass over you till you know that the most, listen, till you know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Nebuchadnezzar, you are all hopped up on yourself, and God has decided, listen, to turn your sanity off. Bink! Bink! And you're going to go off and act like an animal. Like an animal! But then you're going to come back. And it happened when Nebuchadnezzar finally lifted his eyes to heaven and gave glory to God. He's one of the only people in the Old Testament who's not Jewish who got to pick up a pen and he wrote his own testimony. Hear all peoples of the world. God has humbled me. He is the one true God. Don't turn me into an animal again. Wow. We have to stand firm what government opposes what is true and right. Jot this down. We have to wisely avoid trouble when possible. We have to wisely avoid trouble when possible. So this is my, it's not like we're going to be ready for every fight. That's it! I'm storming City Hall! Uh, Paul, you know, was going to be arrested and he escaped the city. He was lowered down from a basket to get out of town when he was going to be arrested. He avoided trouble. He got out of there. Jesus, you know, was accused of not paying the temple tax, and so he told Peter, let's pay it. I don't have to because I'm a son. Sons are exempt, but all right, let's pay it. Let's pay it. He paid a tax he didn't have to to avoid trouble. David could have assassinated Saul in the cave, tyrant king, and David was right there, and his buddies were like, get him, got him, got him. And David's like, mm. he avoided trouble. He avoided trouble. Elijah, when Jezebel gave an execution order because he killed all of Jezebel's false prophets, ran for his life. He fled. He got out of there. He avoided trouble. And Jesus told this to his disciples. When you're persecuted in one city, flee to the next. We're supposed to avoid trouble when possible, right? We're supposed to stand down, if at all possible. 
But when that becomes not possible, when we can't do that, then jot this down. We have to speak up without fear. We have to speak up without fear. Okay, I've tried to avoid it, but now I have to speak up because my values or freedoms or rights or someone else's values, freedoms or rights are under fire. Under fire. This is happening in many ways in our country. Uh, there have been a few cases in Illinois, uh, and we'll get to this topic next week, LGBTQ issues next week. Um, and so what happens uh, when biological males uh, want to enter uh, female locker rooms and dressing rooms and the parents aren't told about it and suddenly their 16-year-old girls are around 18-year-old boys and they weren't told and there's undressing going on and parents had to go to school board meetings and, and, and give a, a voice to this moral issue, right? There comes a point where you may have to speak up uh, because policies are being neglected. Um, in the city of Chicago, when COVID first broke out, uh, there, was a, uh, there was a strong push to prevent churches from meeting at all. There was a, uh, a strong, there was a limit of 25 people, right? And according to Governor Pritzker's policies, that limit of 25 people would have been imposed indefinitely on churches. Um, there was no provision made until COVID went away, for churches to open up beyond 25, and that's still the case in some other states and in some other countries like Canada. They cannot meet past 25 people still, and pastors in Canada have been arrested already for trying to meet beyond 25 people. That was our law. Well, Romanian churches in Chicago rose up, spoke up, and said, we will not accept that. We have a constitutional right to gather, and if Walmart is open and they can have people there responsibly, we can have people there responsibly as well. And so they rose up and the mayor played hardball and started late in the night putting up uh, parking restrictions on the street and towing entire streets of cars to prevent people from getting to church. Police cars blocked parking lots so the churches couldn't get to church. And the Romanians said, uh, we left Eastern Europe to avoid things like this. And they drove this case straight to the Supreme Court in two weeks' time. And uh, Justice Kavanaugh, very wise, knew at the time that he didn't have the votes to support a religious liberty vote. And so he kind of did a little head fake on our governor and released this statement, which is kind of unusual for Supreme Court justices to do, uh, hinting at that if Governor Pritzker allowed this thing to get all the way to the Supreme Court, all of his policies could be overruled in the entire state. So the government, uh, Governor Pritzker backed down and said, there are no longer any restrictions on churches, just guidelines became clear the next week in California that the Supreme Court sided with the government, which is why I believe our governor was head faked and he backed down. Now the Supreme Court actually has the votes and there have been a few votes that have sided with religious liberty cases like this. Uh, originally they had said 5-4 no to Nevada in the prior court and recently they said 6-3 yes to Californian churches that want to meet. This is how Christians can rise up and, and make their voice heard and say, look, this, this is not constitutional. Uh, we can do this responsibly, but you cannot close us down for any reason. For any reason, right? So we must speak up uh, without fear. Without fear. This is modeled. Paul said to the Roman officials, you beat me without a trial. I'm a Roman citizen. And they had to walk him to the edge of town and issue him an apology, right? Uh, and John the Baptist said to the, you know, the king who arrested him, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. 
It got him killed because he told the person what you're doing is wrong. This is how Christians speak truth to the government. So we are to wisely avoid trouble when possible. We must speak up without fear when it comes to that. And then jot this down. And then if that doesn't work, we endure persecution without faltering. We endure persecution without faltering. This is called civil disobedience. It's modeled by the midwives when the Pharaoh ordered the midwives to kill all the Jewish boys. Throw them in the Nile. Throw them in the Nile. And these midwives are like, uh, no. No. And let's just point out, you don't mess with nurses, okay? I, I know that. Nurses are tough. And even the Pharaoh couldn't command the nurses what to do. They're like, uh, no, we're not doing what you said. They disobeyed, disobeyed the Pharaoh's orders. Daniel refused to stop his prayer life. We already talked about that. Rahab the prostitute, she knew that Jericho was about to be overrun. She hid the Jewish spies and then sent them off and then lied to the officials who came to her and said, where are they? Where are they? She disobeyed her government because she knew God's judgment was coming and she wanted to save her own skin. This is all commended and applauded in the scripture, right? The wise men went to Herod, where's the one who was born king? Oh, will you come back and tell me when you find him so I can go give him a Christmas present too? What did they do? They got out of there, right? They didn't do what he said. They didn't do what he said. So yes, there is scriptural precedent for enduring persecution without faltering um, or just disobeying, civil disobedience. Wow, when you look through the scripture, there are so many people of faith who had such a great impact on their world through government. Think of Joseph, who became prince of Egypt, and Moses, who stood up against Pharaoh. Uh, Daniel, who was among the highest advisors to several kings. Esther, who was married to the most powerful man in the world. Nehemiah, who was the cupbearer to the king. They influenced, they set an example, they held rulers accountable, they stood their ground. Wow. Wow. Hey, God has a plan to use you and to use our church to purify our government and our nation. How does that happen? Well, we have to honor, respect, and obey our government. Hey, we're for you. We have to expect our government to serve, God, to serve God's purposes. Hey, this is not right. And we have to stand firm when government opposes what is true and what is right. When we have conversations with others, we have to learn how to share our convictions with grace and with truth. God help us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what a tall order. What a challenging sermon. What, what a, this is beyond comprehension to know how we are to live this out. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You know the fate and destiny of every government on the planet. And Jesus, all authority in heaven and on earth already belongs to you. Help us, Lord, to not act like desperate, fearful, angry complainers. You already have all the power. You don't need an election. You don't need an appointment. You don't need approval. You already have it. And Jesus, because the power is already yours, help us to be humble, to stand firm, to be upright. Help us to be so much more grateful for the government that you provided for us. Lord, of all the people who have ever lived throughout human history, we are so blessed with freedom. Lord, the prosperity that you have given us, the liberty that you have provided, oh Lord, we're thankful for the government that you have provided. 
but Lord, in so many ways, it has lost, it's lost its way. It is moving away from the Christian principles on which it was built. We pray for revival in our land. We pray that you would raise up men and women and children who will stand firm and insist that our government glorify you. Lord, I pray that you would be the one to bring to remembrance to our elected officials what has happened to governments in the past that have defied you. And may they tremble. May they be warned. And may they bring their deeds in line with your law. Now, before they stand before you on Judgment Day. Lord, we just pray for a great awakening. A great awakening to the gospel in our country. A great awakening to morality. A great awakening to sanity, to to reason. And Lord, we know you can do it. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.